Greetings, friends. My name is Justin McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. So welcome, everybody. My name is Justin McLean. I'm the host of Blueprints of Disruption. We are a podcast, a weekly podcast, but uh, we do occasionally do live streams like this and uh, bring people together to have discussions on issues, uh, but also on action. So that's what we're doing today. This is fighting legislated poverty. I'm hoping some of you already know that disability programs across Canada are anything but supportive (laughs) and are lacking in so many ways. Uh, The folks that we've brought together today will kind of develop on that. It goes beyond, you know, not supplying enough money to disabled people that are unable to work. But uh, these are provincial programs uh, right now. Federal programs are also inadequate. Uh, Many of them play into that trope that disabled people just need help navigating into the workforce, you know, so there's internship programs and and other uh, items that I'm sure help people, but it's certainly uh, not addressing the legislated poverty of folks that absolutely cannot work and deserve to thrive. And um, we know that's what social services are for, our, our safety net. I'd like to believe also that the urgency around this issue has been heightened because of the discussion around MAID. A lot of the stories that have come out, now that is assisted um, dying, and we've had a lot of discussion amongst the disabled community about offering that as a solution before any adequate supports. And it's kind of pushed this into the spotlight a little bit, just how difficult it is to live off of these provincial programs. Now, um, we've brought a great panel together. We're going to let them introduce themselves so that I don't get anything wrong. They're going to tell us who they are. If they're part of an organization, we have a spectrum of people here that do various levels of organizing We're also going to hear their motivators, you know, why they're doing what they're doing and the way that they're doing it. We'll talk about ableism, which is often the elephant in the room, but it plays a big role in shaping these programs that we're talking about, right? Why the the way that they are, but also in why this isn't part of a wider discussion, why disability rights are often left out of bigger movements that often focus on worker issues, right? Even in progressive spaces, there's a lot of work to do around disability justice. So we have folks that are uh, experienced in working in these progressive spaces, and we can hear maybe some of the barriers that are there or some of the work that needs to be done as well. So, you know, we want to explore ways we can fight back against this legislated poverty, because that's what it is. Together, uh, check in with folks so you can uh, chime in in the comments. We'll try to work it into the discussion, make connections here. Uh, I don't know if all of our panelists have met before, but they have now. So hopefully we can grow the network of folks working on this. 
And uh, yeah, so again, if you could boost the live stream, that would be great. And um, you can always catch more of our content on anywhere you catch your podcasts. So that's Blueprints of Disruption. Okay, the panel. So I can stop talking and get some water. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go to Rabia first, just I've got a list of, of guests here. So Rabia, can you please introduce yourself to the audience here? Okay, good evening. Uh, my name is Rabia Khadr. I'm the National Director of Disability Without Poverty. I'm also involved in many other ways with disability rights just through my lived experience. I'm the CEO of Dean Support Services and one of the founders of the Race and Disability Canada Project. Um, I'm talking to you from Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, the most recently the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the New Credit. I identify myself with a one-liner and that goes something like this. I'm uh, Rabia Khudr, I'm a hyphen with many hijabs. I am a Muslim, Punjabi, Pakistani, Canadian woman, wife, mother, sibling of individuals with intellectual disabilities and other disabilities, daughter of aging parents, activist, advocate, community person, yada, 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 and I happen to have a disability. I am blind. Um, and that, I guess, would be my, my greatest... Uh, recognition is my identity marker around intersectionality. I've also served as a commissioner with the Ontario Human Rights Commission in the past, chaired and, and served on various accessibility advisory committees and, and standards um, uh, committees. I've also served on Accessibility Standards Canada, and I'm on Minister Car Carla Qualtro's Minister's Disability Advisory Group, which emerged out of COVID. Well, I'm glad you introduced yourself because there's no, I would have left one of those hyphens out, I'm sure. <laughs> um, as we get into the discussion, we'll talk about a little bit more maybe about uh, the motivators behind your work. But uh, I do appreciate your time, Rabia, and we'll be sure to uh, share the links to your organization uh, as we go along. Kamal, can you please introduce yourself to everyone? Absolutely, yeah. My name is Kamal. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, I, I have ADHD and a hearing cognition disability. I also work in web accessibility for my work as a software engineer, and I'm an executive of the Ontario NDP and co-chair of the Disability Committee, and uh, I'm speaking from Toronto, Ontario. Thank you. Thank you. Christine, and then we'll go to Isabella. Hello, I'm Christine. <clears throat> Pardon me. I, I was just sitting thinking what or how I would introduce myself. Um, I am early uh, uh, retired from the field of work that I did um, through because of disability, essentially, which is, I also hold a part of the roles that I held responsible for the mental health stuff that I deal with today. Um, I, uh, my professional me was, I was somebody who worked in systems for 28 years. Um, I spent 15 almost in an inpatient psychiatric unit as social worker and counselor. And then I did a little bit of grassroots stuff locally in Owen Sound. 
uh, help get a peer crisis support worker program as the peer crisis worker myself off the ground in the emergency department uh, locally here. Um, so I have my uh, professional experience for sure, um, but why or who and or what motivates me? Um, I've always been a person who, it wasn't just books and studying for me. Um, I've always been somebody who believes in speaking out and change. Uh, my daughter uh, became disabled a few years ago. She was uh, struck by an SUV. And I understood to that point what ableism and disability and oppression was because I learned about it. Um, but I'm also a very privileged person in our society. So it was mostly through learning and observing, right? Uh, friends. I never had experience what my, you know, with my daughter, uh, what happens personally to somebody who becomes disabled in our society. I live with disability myself now. And, uh, I still get turned inside out emotionally. I'm still healing and recovering some stuff. Um, that's, that's where my motivator is because uh, being a person that was in systems that did my best to, I like your rabble, rabble rouse, right? Um, and still keep my job. <laughs> um, coming out the other end, uh, some of what you might see uh, that I do is on social media. And that's kind of the route I've chosen for now um, in terms of activism and getting lived experience out and advocacy out there um, because it's, I'm disturbed. I always have been, um, but I- By what you're it. seeing? Oh yeah. And oh, experiencing? Yeah. Yep, yep. And again, uh, with somebody like myself who, I'm in sub-poverty, right? Um, it's, uh, it's shaken my soul. I'll just say that through the experiences with my own child and then all the people I served over the years. So I hope that makes sense. But that's kind of me in a nutshell. And uh, I have two cats. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't forget about the cats. Kamal also has oh, some I know. You can shout out to the cats. The so I'm grateful but... to be here and thank you for that. Thank you. Christine, I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people. You talk about it making sense. You know, it doesn't have to make sense to everybody, but um, your experiences is valid. Isabella, tell us about yourself. Hi, um, my name is Isabella Gamp. Um, I'm the founder of Proof Protecting ODSPOW Funding. Um, I started a group uh, in 2018 specifically to demand uh, that ODSP and OW be doubled. Um, um, since then, our, our demands have changed a few times. Um, our current demands are that the ODSP shelter allowance be quadrupled, the ODSP basic needs allowance be doubled, and the OW basic needs and the shelter allowances be increased by 150%, so doubled and a half. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I ran for mayor last year of Toronto, and I'm going to run again this year. You know. Um, Vote Isabella Gamp for Toronto Mayor 2023. It's the right thing to do. Um, um, 
um, I, I, I fight because um, the struggle was just getting to be too much. I, I, I had opened a bank account and tried to save money, you know, and I, I worked my way up to saving money and end up getting a credit card, but then trying to keep up with credit card bills because our, our money wasn't going up enough. And, you know, I, I was having to, kept having to dip into use it to use to make ends meet. You know, I, I had I had savings up till then. And I used up the savings. You know, like I was struggling for five years, about five years or more before I started Proof, like really struggling. Um, you know, I, I have dietary issues and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm lactose free and gluten free. And I use the FODMAP diet to try to control my IBS and gluten and my uh, severe acid reflux and stuff. I have a damaged esophagus and Barrett's disease. Um, so, you know, food is expensive and the food banks don't Even really carry so, Food banks don't really carry anything I can use, you know, maybe a couple of uh, soft potatoes or, you know, carrots or something. But, you know, that's not really healthy and it's not it's not really enough to go stand in line for, you know, for two hours or something. You know, it's just um, we're not rabbits like we, we, we shouldn't have... we shouldn't have to stand in line for, you know, disabled people shouldn't have to stand in line for two hours in the wintertime or in the summertime to to, to beg food, you know, um, I have to ration my food as it is, you know, um, it's just, you know, I was interviewed during uh, the trans march in 2018 in, in July or something. And, you know, they, they asked me about trans rights. And I said, you know, there's lots of people fighting for trans rights. I said, the real issue was uh, ODSP and OW, the struggle people are having with that. And it was like three, two, three months, two or three months later, I, I started Poof like on September 15th, you know. Um, so and Poof and, is also a network, right, of of well, disabled activists or disabled folks. Well, um, yeah, we, 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 we I, I'm in touch with a lot of groups, um, other groups. Um, you know, Socialist Action has helped us a few times with some of our protests. Uh, some members of OCAP and some members of ACORN come out. I was a member of OCAP. They kicked me out. <laughs> I was, I was, I was uh, they didn't agree with my demands. You know, they kept wanting to fight for more shelters and, and affordable housing. And uh, people are on ODSP and OW can't afford affordable housing. You know, so we don't need everybody to end up in shelters. Um, four years ago, um, Income Security, obviously, when I contacted them and asked them about the numbers of how many people on ODSP and OW were in subsidized housing, they told me that 12% of people on ODSP and 7% of people on OW were living in subsidized housing. Last year, when I ran for mayor, I emailed them again and I asked for the new current numbers. And they told me last fall that there was only 5, uh, 9% of people on ODSP and 5% of people on OW living in subsidized housing. The numbers went down. So even though more subsidized housing has been added to the system than has been taken away, you know, due to repairs needs or whatever, um, you know, more units have been added, but less people on ODSP and OW are living in subsidized housing. So that means that everybody else is ending up on the streets or dead from, you know, addictions or whatever else, you know what I mean? But it's, it's not right. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know where we're headed, but this is why I fight. It's not good. It's not right. It's too much ableism. You. Only, only, you know what, all this narrative about people, you know, trying to push disabled people to work. There was an article on the news the other day, you know, only 5% can or, or, or do work. 5% of, of disabled people. So, you know, 95% can. And this, this, this rhetoric, everybody's trying to push programs and work programs. And it's, it's, it's total ableism. 
and it's got to stop. You know, I worked until my doctor decided that I should go on disability. You know, it, it was a doctor's, you know, that's recommended that I go on disability because I couldn't do it anymore. And just because your doctor recommends it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be approved for the support programs either. Is that like, because. Well, well, some people mm-hmm. have, do apply two or three times, but you know, that, yes. that you know, um, yeah, there, there, there's, there's a thing, you know, unfortunately there's a misconception that people think that if they're on OW long enough, they automatically, or, or you know, they're going to end up on ODSP and, and that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, you, you have to, yeah, there's, you know, I, I think that when, when somebody goes into a, a shelter, um, you know, if, if, if they aren't on ODSP already, they should be, you know, they should be diagnosed by a, a mental health professional and a physical doctor, you know, to see whether or not they belong on ODSP and then stop the nonsense saying that, you know, that no, this person's okay to work when they actually aren't. Yeah. You know, there's no sense putting them in there and then saying, oh, you can work when they really can't, you know? Yeah. Give me a second, Isabella. Sorry. Sorry. Um, You you brought up a few, you know, demands uh, that POOF has specific to ODSP that go beyond, you know, doubling the rates, which is what what I think most people hear, right? It was part of the Ontario Provincial Campaign a little bit, eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, Yeah, you know how much work it was? Do you know how much of work it was? It, it took me two years to get other groups <laughs> and politicians yep. to stop demanding the 3% be reinstated. Yeah, I no, like all, I hassled them. Now a lot of politicians and groups hate me because I call out the ableism. And started, instead of changing their demands so they aren't ableist, they would rather hate me and block me. All right, let me get to my question, Isabella, so we can get like other panelists in on here. It's all good. I know everyone loves to chat and there's so much to talk about. But you brought up some some other demands, you know, because I think there's a far more wrong with everyone here is in Ontario. So I didn't do a good job of going um, national, but we've got a lot of input from folks that very similar programs are in place, very similar Mm -hmm. restrictions. Uh, One of them, you know, for example, is the lack of marriage equality that exists under ODSP and what happens when people start to cohabitate and and the clawbacks that happen. But there are perhaps other things that about ODSP uh, and similar programs that also need changing. Do folks, uh, Isabel, so just like hold tight here, because uh, yeah. you, you already named some really good ones. I'm wondering if anybody else can think of uh, reforms that are critical specific to the provincial programs you know um i know a lot of people are they're federal solutions and we will get to those but what else is wrong with odsp um it's too hard to get things you know they, they don't like they get don't approved have, or yeah yeah and, and yeah and um you know especially for quality of life you know, they want to try to say that, oh, if it's not totally medically necessary, you don't get it. But we, we are supposed to have quality of life and it's supposed to be an implemented into the into the ODSP system. You know, so if you so, needed medical devices or something to... I couldn't do half of what I do if I didn't get that my wheelchair because I right. can still walk some. I can walk around the block with my dogs. That's about it. But I couldn't go to protests and everything else if I didn't have my wheelchair. I couldn't go to other programs and and and, and meetings, at, you know, at different various organizations if I didn't have my wheelchair. I think a lot of people so, would assume things that are medically necessary are covered by OHIP, but we know we've seen clawbacks um, and delisting of services a lot. But I think a lot of people would be surprised that mobility devices and other basic accommodations, if well, that's the right word, are yeah. something that 
is extra. That's something you have to go to like a caseworker and make it make a, a, an argument for. Christine, I saw you unmute yourself there. Do you like are there other aspects to well, ODSP? Are, 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 can I can I finish for two seconds? Two seconds, quick. All right, all right. Okay, I, there. You know, we we need we need to have money to, for for people to go out. There should be a, a budget for you know entertainment money. You know, um, there. You know, and the, the ODSP should also be organizing or having some uh, another agency that organizes uh, outings for people that are disabled. You know, um, they have, you know, um, places where um, they have heated pools. Well, if I want to use one, I have to pay. You know what I mean? I, that's the only, I can't swim in a regular pool, but I have zero body fat. I get cold in, in 10 seconds in a pool. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. But, you know, and, there, and, and the other, yeah. So let's, let's you know, hear from Christine. Yeah, go ahead. Let, thank All you. Right. I just was going to say uh, just some thoughts popping in my head. Um, you know, the barriers that exist continued ongoing with ODSP are quite obvious, right? Uh, legislative poverty. I, I hope you don't mind, but I do use uh, terms like social murder. Um, That's what it is. Yeah. It, it is. And so things that I, I can remember uh, just from my work experience, for example, um, they would talk, uh, an ODSP or rep would come into the hospital to talk, talk to inpatients, right? This was when I was in the peer role and people can't, you know, even access a phone, a cell phone. So, you know, and I remember raising the question with the peers uh, to the worker saying, so how, how exactly, uh, we can't even pay rent. So there's one issue, number one. Um, but how, how, how about, you know, phone access, cell phones, something like that. And that this was like three or four years ago. And the worker themselves said, oh, I know it's a problem. I thought if somebody's disabled, um, and let's say they, they're with a device at home and they fall, and they have no phone because they can't afford it. Where, where, where in the system were these things excluded, and what you know, I and why, right? Yeah, this is not new. So I, 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 I and I also want to comment on, again, just, just with you know, luckily I had some skill, right, in terms of advocacy in the system, um, but I can tell you that when I worked with people on the inpatient unit who were declined uh, ODSP and they had major disability, um, I would be the one, you know, the social worker comes in. I learned how it became a craft, you know, how to get somebody uh, approved. And I remember thinking back then, there's a problem, I shouldn't be here doing this. I shouldn't, this role, I, the idea of this role was to work myself out of a job. But again, the barriers around just the application process, just, uh, and those are growing, right? Like now, oh, yeah, it's no, confirm that they yeah. are living in Ontario every thirty days, or it's their payments will stop. And like, what if you don't understand that? What if you, you know, like ADHDers will forget. That's they right. will forget until it's too late, and then you're, you know, what are you going to like a caseworker to explain? Or um, no, job is only seven days. Yeah, like. It <laughs> It's, by it's, design. it's incredible. I think folks, and that I think people can start to appreciate how difficult it is to organize 
in such circumstances against it, right? Where we have other issues that have well-funded organizations or unions, you know, where your job is to actually advocate for, you're paid to advocate for um, folks, but this requires like extra resources that aren't there. Just to speak to that, uh, we originally were gonna do this at the end of January, and that was, my lack of knowledge there around the lived experience on ODSP and a comrade came and said, this is the hardest month for folks on um, social disability uh, payments. You know, they, they get an early December payment to accommodate for Christmas, whatever. And then it's like a month and, and over a month before the next payment, right? Through a very expensive time of year, typically. And to ask folks, we, we to, used to get we, you know, we used to actually get a hundred dollar Christmas bonus at one time, and they took that yeah. away. Like they took that away. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that was meant so we could buy family gifts and whatnot. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, so, and, you know what I mean. So we didn't feel like a real heel at Christmas time. But that speaks to like living that fuller life that you were talking about, like an right, entertainment yeah. fund, a right. dietary oh, needs met. You know, like not having to to beg for everything. Um, I want to transition a bit just so we can kind of have a well-rounded, uh, dis- oh, Kamal, please. Thank you yeah, for raising your I, hand and make sure I, you get in there. I have a little bit of a less specific feedback on this because yes. basically what I'm noticing is that the problem is, well, there are issues and I, I do expect more to come up, but I think strategically the way which the consultation is for these programs is not with people in the programs they consult everybody doctors economists even family but they don't and then they wonder like why why is it not working why like but they're not actually consulting actual disabled people that well, happens actually, a lot doesn't it not just yeah. because they don't want the public to know the truth that's right there's and also maybe- a sense of ableism and paternalism yeah. Well, yeah, because you know, if the public knew the truth, then the, the ableism would have to stop. Well, that would be maybe, nice. So maybe I Robbie, can chime I, in yeah. here as well. Please. And I'm sorry, I'm not really good at using the hand gesture. I'll just... <laughs> I'll I keep mean, that in mind. I'm going to make sure we... <laughs> um, so, you know, with, with like programs like ODSP, the problem is they're designed to meet a need that's been defined by somebody, but to 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 meet a need at a very minimalist way. And the goal is, keep people out, not let people in, right? So, so, so the whole system is structured at how do we weed people out? Not, so when you apply, it's about screening you out as opposed to screening you into the program. So it's, it's like almost like, you know, there's the letter of the law and then there's the intent. The intent is to keep you out. Um, so that one is a problem. Now, when you're talking about like, you know, um, sending out payments early in December, why if you're not giving anybody extra money and why not not everybody celebrates christmas like i'm i'm i mean i'm not out buying christmas gifts for my family i don't celebrate christmas so if i were on odsp and you give me that money in advance yeah that's just you know misleading me for the time that i have to 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 fill in right like i understand january being a difficult month for many people for many other reasons plus money but the only reason they're pushing the money out faster is because they're closed between Christmas and New Year's. As opposed, was I giving to them too much credit, Rabia? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Sorry, like rather than doing anybody any favors, like 
Yeah. You know, they're just pushing it out because it's just, you know, got to get the job done so we can shut down that, government right? that week. Right. Um, and for me, like, again, supporting people, I'm supporting newcomers with, you know, who've acquired disabilities. And again, it's our ableist mindset, the way we view what disability poverty looks like. There's okay. a misnomer out there that people with disabilities get everything. So ODSP covers like everything and everybody, everything else is covered. We know that that's further from the truth across the country, mm-hmm. across various uh, disability specific or other social support programs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when, like, for example, I was talking to somebody this week and I said, you know, this person uh, needs financial help. They're in debt. You know, maybe we can contribute something. And the, the, the first reaction this person had was, oh, but they had a pretty good car. And I'm like, okay, you are privileged in you know upper middle class and you're looking at somebody who's you know on OW right now trying to get onto ODSP and saying, oh, but their car, like, what do you mean? You know, you know what? And that's I, the same attitude. I, I'm sorry, Isabella, just give me a chance. No worries, okay? no, no, no worries, no worries. Um, that is exactly the attitude that then infiltrates how the system is designed, right? It's people's understanding of, you know, like it's it, it, somebody explained to me recently, they said, you know, poverty is about giving people what they need to thrive. Thrive doesn't mean to live in abundance. Thrive means to live with basic dignity. And, you know, nationally, um, we know that there are gaps across this country. There are 52 different poverty lines across this country. Disability poverty lines are anywhere from 40 to 63% above that ableist poverty line. And disability supports are at least 40% below that poverty line. Sorry, just to clarify, the actual, hold on, hold on, I just want to get a point of clarification, Isabella. So I just, the actual needs are 40% more than what we declare poverty, which so many programs are then based on, right? Yes. Housing, all kinds of things. And living with a disability costs more. But, but, you know, provincial supports for people with disabilities this are is the below problem. that by 40%. Okay, but this is the, this is, okay, Toronto, this is the biggest problem. I'll go, I'll go to you, Isabella, I promise. Yeah. Toronto, okay. for example, is uh, the poverty line is just over $2,000. The official poverty line is just over $2,000. And that's not true. A person that's not with true. a disability in, Ontario, in, Tor- in Toronto, in Ontario, on ODSP is getting $1,227. Yeah. Very, uh, but you know what the problem is the biggest problem is is the terminology is because they use support before it was assistance you know the support and assistance implies that we have another source of income for many people on disability, on disability uh, support ben- uh, benefits um, it's their only source of income so right away they mislead the public to say that it's a support or it's assistance like we have some other uh, other way of getting money you know, it's, it's an ableist term and that, that we have to get the terminology changed because it's not right. We, it should just be an income, a disability income. Well, when no, I not, not a support, it shouldn't say support or assistance because it's not it's it, for many of us. It's our only 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 source of income or, or you know what I mean? There is yeah. no other support. There is no other assistance. Families don't help. My family don't help nothing. You yeah. know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely words and, and language matters. But and that's, uh, what, that's what leads up to the public thinking yeah. that, oh, we don't, well, you, you can do this, you can do that. You, 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 you know, you, if this is just a support program, that must mean you can work. You know what Let's I mean? Talk, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more because we had yeah. uh, someone in the chat uh, share yeah. a bit of lived experience there that um, the the messaging that goes around some of these programs um, and the insistence that folks just need to get a job is actually traumatizing. It, it There's like mm -hmm. an emotional yeah. impact and a psychological impact, uh, not just on the people who need assistance or supports or whatever we're, income, uh, but also on the general public who then either decide to advocate for better programs or not, right? So it plays into their maybe ambivalence, but I, I love that a few advocates always remind me that we're all just like one accident, one illness away from being yeah. disabled. I'm myself neurodivergent. I don't like talking about it, but that's besides the point. But, you know, my husband is also, he's on disability. He was lucky to be in a union um, that had insurance, but I mean, that's going to run out for sure. And I'm pretty confident that you know, support programs are not going to be there or be adequate. But I think everyone needs to understand, like, you're very close to being in that situation. This is a mm -hmm. crisis that nobody can really ignore. And I'm often that's, frustrated. That's number four. That's number four question. Oh, I, I, I didn't promise I'd go in order. Okay. <laughs> but that's, but, um, that really has to do with number four, because yeah, that's how you got to be able to to get other people to prioritize is, you know, and I've tried to do that with unions. I pointed it out to union members at other protests. I've spoken at other protests where there's been lots of union members. Uh, you know what I mean? And 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 I've invited them out to our protests. I've went to OPSU. I've handed them things. I've, I've emailed QP. I've, you know, uh, I, I've, I've emailed the teachers uh, union. I, I've emailed, you know, different unions. And they just ignore us. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, yeah. they, 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 you know what? It's, it's, oh, it doesn't affect me, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, they don't, they don't want to see that, that, oh, it could happen to them. They don't, you know, the unions don't even tell their members that. You know what I mean? That's, that's sad. Yeah. You know, I think the unions should be making sure that their members fight to, to keep disability benefits up because, yeah, workman's comp runs out, workman's comp that gets denied. Yeah. They, people end up on disability. Yeah. yeah WSIB yeah. is also like another episode altogether, but I think Kamal mm -hmm. can also attest to, even within progressive circles that can represent anybody that maybe aren't beholden to workers, like their workers, it's hard getting disability rights at the forefront. Um, people don't even want to say the word disabled. I think of the long-term care uh, home narrative that was just seniors, seniors, our grandparents, you know, like erasing the fact that the, everyone is in there because they're disabled, not of their age, right? And yeah. so many times we have town halls, and sorry, Christine, I'm just going to be okay. brief. Um, so many times there's town halls and like, I literally find out because of social media and then oh no, there's, and that's the only way that I sneak in our disability activists into those town halls, but you're giving away your secrets, Kamal. Uh, I mean, one, honestly, one of, our, we, one of our big problems is misled activists. I'm you know, sure. And sometimes, and sometimes I think they're government plants. You know, um, that, that, you know, um, you know, like they, they don't understand. Like, they're, you know, and the media loves it because, you know, these people are asking for housing, you know, for the homeless people, except for the homeless people ain't getting it. A lot of the homeless people were kicked out of housing. They get back in. 
you know, um, it, it, like the numbers, ISAC, the numbers show that people on ODSP and OW, there's less of them in, in subsidized housing now than four years ago. So the people that are advocating for housing for their homeless are not helping the homeless. They're helping the, the low-income fa working families. Yeah. Toronto housing is becoming sorry, guys, only Mark, for low-income working families. you finish your families. thought? Because I got lost. Okay. Um, so, kind of. Uh, I was just saying that, well, it, it's always difficult because, like, we're not thought of, like, I kind of mentioned it briefly before, but basically that, like, for spaces when disability issues are present, I mean, disability issues are present in all levels that I deal with. Um, but oftentimes, as as you said, like, whether it's long-term care, even edu education, all these things, um, there's there's disability-related issues there, um, but we're not always in invited or thought of, even though we are relevant. And because of that, um, our our opinions are not actually even able to be present. That's true. That's true. You're absent. I'm going to let Christine. Yeah. You you had your chance. I'm sorry, I didn't see your hand there. That's okay. Your white oh. hand blended in with the white wall. <laughs> And me, I'm just, um, I just, just, I jotted down a couple of things. My, my brain just goes in bunny trails everywhere. Um, one thing around, uh, you know, in terms of in systems and stuff like that, what I can tell you in my own experience now working in mental health and I, you know, living with my own mental health stuff and that, um, all the, all the years that I worked in that arena uh it was always like oh the disability is handled somewhere else uh that's 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 oh yeah right uh but the diversity and inclusion meetings that go nowhere. right right and and when it got really loud um was uh after what happened with Haley my daughter who gives consent by the way she's cool I she this our story too right um when everything kind of went down uh, with her, I gap out a little bit with that still. Um, I really learned, I, I remember saying, you know, through the years that I worked in the system, especially when I worked in inpatient psychiatry, that why is there this black hole? You know, like, so what do we do? Uh, and how do we help somebody who's living with mental health, disability, poverty? right? Oh, there's nowhere. There's really nowhere, you know, so what would happen? Yeah, we need, there, there needs more better supportive housing with, with, with well, uh, and it, our staff. It's a huge issue, you know, so when somebody ends up in that situation, what I learned personally with my daughter is, again, it's, it's, it's not just a, you know, oh, a mysterious kind of, it's excluded. It's just not available. So help mm. or support or, or, or however we look at it. Because um, mm. I used to just even as a worker, go around and around and around and think, they tell me, get get this housing for this person. And I come back, where? I did that for years, right? Mm. I also told people the wait list for housing was five years, over 28 years. And that never changed. I waited that's 20 years for housing. Right. So none of it ever changed. So, so with that, um, I guess my point is that it's just simply not dealt with. And that's that's my take on it as somebody who's been working in systems there's fanfare and window dressing and all you know, that kind of fun stuff but but nothing tangible ever comes so because here we are in 2023 um, the other piece i wanted to mention was that 
as a person who, uh, in my own lived experience, I had uh, money for time, right? Because I was working in these jobs uh, and all this kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is, uh, when disability happens, right, like it did to my daughter, which dealing with systems broke the family, or not my, my, her dad and I have been apart years, but broke down the, our systems in the family. Like her dad's not able to work anymore because he's, the, it was all related to this, all of it, all of the come down, right, for, for her, for us. For myself personally, what I can say, and when I tried to do some advocacy last year, I felt like I had no business um, doing disability advocacy because I, you know, they pounded in our heads in the systems. Oh, it's not disability. It's differently abled. That's, That's a I really hear. bad term. That's a oh, really I know. Yeah, oh, no, I, know. I can see I everyone so, cringe when you yeah, say right. that. So, but but, but uh, yeah, from as somebody from the inside speaking freely on the outside now, um, it's crushing. And I know that from my own personal experience, uh, you know, with my diet changes, because I do have a chronic disease that requires certain things uh, to eat. My diet has dramatically changed. My health is not getting better. I find it challenging because I can't eat good, healthy food. So the advocacy I tried to do last year to try to show people, look at, hey, I'm a fallen, whatever you want to call me from the systems. And uh, yeah, I'm letting you know, yeah, you know what, what everybody's been saying for a real long time is really true. Uh, when we can't eat properly and when we're scared to death about where we're going to live, I'm somebody who knows how to navigate systems. Do you know what I mean? So that's where I would get so, ah, people don't want to see it. I don't know what it is, but I can say, uh, you know, the, I'll just touch on that. The whole maid issue, I started advocacy around that last year, um, was floored to find out people in systems who had no idea of the changes um, and thought I was in crazy, um, basically. And I, I, I'm still, I'm still trying to put all this together and re put myself together. Um, but as somebody who did not live in abject legislative poverty my entire life, I can tell you the damage that has already happened to me from a mental health angle, just navigating living in sub poverty because I get CPPD, my, I have no savings or assets, nothing, the pension's gone, I spent it. So do you see what I mean? So I guess yeah. I'm just giving that as a, a frame of reference as an individual you know, yeah. who, who you see. I think, I think one of the biggest issues is the government needs to change their attitude. And, you know, this is where we need the public to be educated about the reality, you know, because the, you know, the, the politicians mislead the public by calling us frauds and cheats and scammers and whatever else. Yeah. You know, they like to see the homeless because, but they never say that the homeless are ODSP and OW clients and that they're failed, that the ODSP and OW is failing them. You know, this is uh, at City Hall. I was at City Hall yesterday with my wheelchair. Person pointed out the, the wheelchair accessible washer and I had to hold the door open for me because there's no button. And then the stall that was supposed to be for the wheelchair, I could hardly turn my wheelchair. And then, and then when, when I did turn it around, there was no room to hardly move to, to use the, wash, the toilet. You know what I mean? So yeah. City Hall does this. You know what I mean? Queen's Park ain't much better. It took them forever just to get a ramp in, you know? Uh, that I does speak to the mind. 
the mindset of government, right. but I think we all realize that governments are well, shaped this, by this our is, attitudes, right? This like is why we did pro this is why we do protests. And this is why I'm I'm finding that protests at Queens Park and City Hall and on the sidewalks don't do anything. You know, because the people don't really pay attention. The people pay attention when you block the street. Mm -hmm. You know, I want oh you know what they'll, they'll stop and they'll pull out their phone. Sometimes they'll stand there for two hours videoing you know what i mean which means they're, they're sharing it you know what i mean so that's getting out even farther because the media ain't sharing what we're, our stories are you know um you know it it's it, 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 it's it's hard though because you, we have to fight with the traffic we can't get enough people out so it's very hard the, the police come and get in our face but you know when you're at queen's park you're just preaching to the choir you're there for two or three hours and then there's a five second blurb on the news that doesn't really explain anything so, you know, like that's just to me, it, it's been turning out to be a waste of time going to Queen's Park because you don't get the, the public aren't hearing the problem. The only way the public can hear the problem is if we block the street and tell them. You know what I mean? That, 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 no, I'm nodding along. This is blueprints of <laughs> disruption. So, yeah, we're clearly when we work within the confines yeah. provided to us, you know, like they're there for march, a reason. Even during a march, even yeah. during a march, the public see the march, but they don't understand what is going on. Yeah, because you know, you're, even if you're chanting with something okay. by, they're they're not getting the whole scenario, the picture, what what's what's it about. So that's why I think to block a street for two or three hours, you know, it takes you an hour to to, to get for the cops to show up and then back the traffic off enough so that there's nobody standing right beside you honking and horny. You know what I mean? We I fight with that all the time. Let's go to Kamal <laughs> but, for a second. He's got his hand up. You yeah, know, I, I, I I I did a protest last year. While I was running for mayor, and I, I, I blocked Wellesley Street East in front of the ODSPOW office to demand more money for poor and disabled people. Other mayor counts, counts, uh, candidates were there. Other councillor candidates were there. Everybody notified the media, and I was running for mayor, and no, no media showed up. This, you know, that one percent don't want us to be heard. That, uh, yeah, no, that's yeah. Uh, that's why independent media is here. Come on, come on, yeah. you had your hand up there, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna quiz you a little bit from the chat. Uh, a little, so sure, go. yeah. Um, so I think that, and we're talking about like the stigma that is being enforced and it's not just enforced by the politicians, also by people and, and by the media. And I think that a lot of this is basically saying that people don't have value unless they can do full-time employment. And that's, that's, I think one of the things that I have a huge issue with because there's so much value to like well, a number of reasons. One of them is that there's so much value to work outside of employment. Like when we say the word work, we we don't it does not necessarily mean employment because you can still be a volunteer, you can still do contract work mm -hmm. at that, or or you could still you could be a, a family caretaker, and that is still very valuable you work. You can run a group or a student. Or you could run a bit, group, yeah. Um, and and. and before yeah before I, I go into like the issues there I also have to say like not everybody can work like people don't realize they think that yeah. everybody on on these programs can do work even a little bit um and nobody's going to give up their job to go on these programs when they the no, whole chapter won't cover rent no and, and and even if they could there's so many current ableist issues within that like full-time work is just not always set up properly whether there's like because there's there's a minimum output per time that people have to have um mm -hmm. so even if you have times when you are capable 
like, or you're un- things are unpredictable or you have to take lots of breaks. These are like unprofessional standards that we're forced to abide by. Um, and, and like, I know lots of people who are on ODSP who are just not able to work because they cannot fit within this confine. Um, and yeah, so, but again, like not everybody can work. And I think that that should not be used to, against us. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting. You know, there was um, something we were involved with, ironically, with um, a very conservative group, a, a Christian think tank, uh, Cardis, and they produced a report called Work is More Than Money. And, and, and that's fundamentally it. Like for people as human beings, we want to be involved. We want to contribute. We want to be productive, but it may not be conventional productivity under employment. It may not be that kind of capitalist money-making kind of machinery, um, you know, productivity. So you're absolutely right. Come on, volunteer work, uh, caregiving, all those factors contribute to being a contributing member of your, uh, of, of a family, of a community, of a society. And there's another element, like, because of the disability related barriers that people face, they may, they may not be able to work uh, enough hours to support themselves. They may not oh. be able to attain the kind of work that pays enough for them to, to, to have an okay quality of life. And then there are folks who have intellectual or developmental disabilities or have very significant um, complex disabilities that actually, um, you know, even if they wanted to work, they can't, but they don't sure. even understand the concept of work. What about folks sure. who can't voice for themselves, who can't work? Do Are we just going to say, hey, you only deserve poverty all your life because you were born with a serious disability? You're mm. going to live a life of poverty? Is that the kind of values we have as a society? So I think it's really, really, you know, talking to the average person in society who's able-bodied today, helping them recognize that they can be disabled tomorrow, um, that this is one, you know, sort of grouping of humanity, uh, a categorization or demographic or whatever you want to call us, community, mm-hmm. that every single able-bodied person can has the potential of becoming a part of due to accident, illness, aging, whatever right yes what supports are we going to have in place when you know you're able-bodied today and tomorrow you, you're disabled you might need those and also to ask ourselves folks you know with with severe developmental disabilities significant disabilities like are we you know as a first world nation are we saying that they don't have the right to thrive. Are we saying that, you know, they only deserve to live well below the poverty line. We're not going to support them Mm -hmm. because they're obviously incapable of working. I'm being sarcastic there a little bit. I could hear. (laughs) No, I I appreciate that point. I wanted wanted to kind of quiz Kamal. I promised I I would. So hold on a second, Isabel, because the the chat lit up uh, at the discussion of the Ontario NDP. Obviously, I I know, Kamal, you're in there. You can see it. And like I've spoken to a lot of people on ODSP 
and other provincial programs that rest a lot of hope in getting an NDP government as the solution, right? As the only More. way to manifest a uh, real transformative uh, change on, on these programs. And yeah. it's a matter of survival, right? Like as we discussed here, like it's, not, it's not, not just- I'm not impressed though. No, I know. Hold on, Isabel. I'm gonna I'm gonna let Kamal kind of talk to this just because of his position, but happy to let folks opine on it. And you'll see in the chat that most people are are actually skeptical. I mean, they tuned into this at program, so uh, we've been very clear with I our disappointment that, I, as I, I well. Um, hold on, please. Uh, you're gonna have to stop talking over people, Isabel. I'm, I'm sorry. I have a short term memory loss, and you know what? <laughs> two sec, two two minutes later, I can't remember what I was gonna ask. That's why I, I interject. I'm sorry. All right, it's all good. It's all good. So, Kamal, you're inside there, right? You mentioned you're the co-chair of the disability committee. Um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. So what I'll say first is because I know that this is say can be divisive, but I, I want to share people like before I even talk about it, that like be critical. Like I'm not, I'm not here to like, I won't get offended by what you say. Like you just have to say what's You important. don't have to tell me yeah. that, but. <laughs> no, I know. So um, what I wanted to say was like, obviously I have high hopes. I'm still there that um, like that, that we will, that if, if, if we're if the party is even able to become the governing party um that uh we do implement the appropriate measures um i don't know what that would look like i, I mean i would obviously fight like hell personally with internally but um like we would still have to be everyone here would still have to be doing exactly what we're doing today to make sure that we hold those folks accountable and that they know what the timeline is that that this is a crisis um and not everyone will see that um although like i think maybe by the end of yeah i i can't say how long things will take <laughs> um but you know there there's going to be it's still going to be a struggle and i think one tricky thing that i've seen like we look at other provinces and they will also can all have also had NDP governments and like they have things promised to them that they don't always get. Um, and I think that provinces, because this is one of the questions, number three, technically, which was like, <laughs> the audience doesn't know what we're talking about. When we talk about these questions. It's okay. It's like Anyways, up to the panel, like but. the provinces will like governments of provinces will look to other provinces as the standard. They may go a little bit above what the other ones do but typically well, that's horrifying don't... no i'm just saying <laughs> no like, i know but it's like right? such a low bar it is and yeah. they they will may may go a little bit above what the others do but typically they don't go too far above and and that's 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 a tough thing is that even until we see some provinces get to an adequate level even like we will not be able to see the federal government even start to talk about that so um but yeah like personally i think like our uh committee is really strong th this time around and i think like we we have been able to hold many things to account especially like the priority things so like um changing the policy 
before the election, like we we kicked butt there. So um, eventually we did, like when they started <laughs> listening to us. So yeah, but, like um, people were mortified at that suggestion of a 20% increase to ODSP when that didn't even undo the Mike Harris cuts, right? And this no, was coming from was their most, well, what they thought was their most progressive choice. Uh, but alas, the Greens uh, outflanked them, thankfully, and ended up bringing, I think that played a lot into it too, like not minimizing your work or Isabella's work on getting folks to come around to the double. But, you know, uh, Mike Schreiner kind of set the bar there for progressives where... Well, that's because I. That's because that, that's because of me. <laughs> Isabella's going to take full credit for there this. Was, there was there was there was no other group at, in 2018 or even up to 2020 asking for ODSP and OW to be doubled. I started that in. That was just like too ambitious. You think like that that's was why too ambitious. Old right. Cap said no. You know, um, um, they wouldn't sign the letter. Other people wouldn't sign the letter. They, you know, um, they they wanted me to put down a substantial increase instead of saying double. You know, I, I ran into such trouble with, with Acorn and, and, and everybody, you know, and, and, and this is a thing, you know, the NDP in 2018 wanted, they, they said, they talked about a 27% increase over, over three years. Uh, and, and, and that's what they were going to do again in 2020. Uh, I mean, in 2022. And, um, you know, it, it's only because I, I, Mike Schreiner, uh, that he agreed to, to double that. And, and even then, you know, we had already upped our demands when he said that they want, we wanted it double. You know, they carried our banner, but even that, we had amended our banner. You know, we wanted the shelter allowance tripled back then, you know, last year when they carried our banner. Um, you yeah, know, it's there, like if you lower the, the you know, tide, the, the thing is, you're the still thing drowning. Is, you know, the, yeah. The, 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 yeah, the NDP balked. At, at doubling ODSP, and they only did because they finally relented in, into accepting it, and they only said that they would double it on the second year, giving them a year leeway to change their minds. Now, how are yes. they going to how are they going to to react to our new demands of quadrupling the, the shelter allowance for ODSP and and double? See, we want clarification between doubling the, what what you're doubling. We want because if you just say doubling it and you 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 double the twelve twenty eight up to twenty four fifty six and your rent is fifteen hundred dollars, you're only going to have a basic needs of nine hundred and fifty dollars. So that's not doubling the basic needs. You know that's very mis, mis misleading the public. You know that's why we clarify. So you know are, are the NDP going to agree? See, they never said nothing about welfare. You know. Not <laughs> that's a, not a popular you know, enough topic you know, and so we want the OD, we want ow increased 150 percent both the okay. basic needs and the shelter loan. you know the other thing is you know we we shouldn't and nobody talks enough about that we shouldn't have to use the basic needs allowance that we get separate stipulated separately on our benefit to prop up an inadequate shelter allowance that's not right you know when 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 when, uh, when 80 or uh, when the 91 percent no, actually, it's more than that, right? No, not no, it is. Ninety-one percent of ODSP clients do not live in subsidized housing. So you how mean, are they making pay rent, full rent? You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a problem. You know, uh, I'm going to jump into this federal thing right now because you know we we got we got to we got to. That's talk a great transition. Right? That is where I'm going you next. Know? So Robbie is so, definitely going to be next uh, on the agenda because we want to hear the work around Bill C22, and folks can be feel free to talk okay, about that. Can I? Can I? Can I? Say what I want to yeah, say go it. give us a little intro. Okay, well, the, the federal the, the disability benefit they keep touting it, and they keep you know 
uh, building up the disabled people's hypes and hopes. But, you know, oh, it's past this reading, it's past this reading. Well, you know what? There's no amount on it. Until there's an amount on it and it's voted on it, that amount is what they're going to they're going to try to pass. Okay, you know, hold then, on. So it's not doing anything. All it's doing is smoke screening, smoke screening the, 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 the provincial problem. And, and you know, it's giving the provincial premiers an out. It's to say, okay, we can wait for the federal disability and we don't have to do nothing. Also, um, it's, oh, I lost my train of thought there. Um, I'll come back to you, Isabella, because you kind okay. of fast forwarded. Right. So I'm assuming that there's a lot of audience members that yeah, don't know what Bill C-22 is or you know, to also, even. Yeah, it, it cuts off, suppose it cuts off at age 64. So okay. in, that case, then, in that case, it's not going to help anybody that's senior disabled. So it's not really, you know, it's, it's just going to add to the, the provincial. It's going to be basically the same as the provincial one. So, and if it's inadequate, you know, it, it, it's going to mean a, a fight on two, a, a, a war on two fronts. You know, you would have to fight with the provincial government. And they're going to say, no, it's the federal responsibility. You're going to fight with the federal one. No, 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 it's the provincial responsibility. Yeah, jurisdiction's definitely been brought so up. So, like, is, let's hold tight. They, let's hold they, tight they, and explain Bill C-22 to folks at the, like, kind divided. of bare bones level. It's divided so, the, the disabled community is what it's Isabella, done. like, let's yeah. just kind of yeah, make sure all. we got space. So, Robbie, I know I was on the Disability Without Poverty website and prominently featured there is the advocacy around uh, Bill C-22. You also mentioned being on Mm. an advisory type committee for uh, the minister for that portfolio. I will never remember all the names that they give these ministries. Um, But can you then... First, give the audience an idea of what Bill C-22 is. We can always discuss, you know, its shortfalls uh, that Isabella's kind of brought up there. But you, you're doing a lot of work there. Please tell us about it. Okay, so let me let me just kind of backtrack here and say, okay, so the minister's advisory group, I ended up on that group as, you know, the one racialized person with a disability uh, that was somehow engaging in some conversations at, uh, you know, with, uh, I was on the board of Accessibility Standards Canada and whatnot, so I was on the radar. So when COVID hit and they decided to form a minister's COVID dis- a, a disability advisory group, I was asked to join. I stayed on that group as um, things evolved for the Canada Disability Benefit. Just, just say, just putting that out there. So, you know, the group, the advisory group came first, there to give input, critique, advice, blah, 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 and 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 you know, be aware of what's happening at the federal level. Um, in fall of 2020, the Prime Minister made a promise and put it in the mandate letter of Minister Qualtrill. So uh, the throne speech of 2020, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau said, we're gonna introduce a Canada disability benefit. And a bunch of folks on the West Coast who had been involved in disability poverty discussions and had amplified that messaging and built some sort of you know, uh, network and conversations across the region uh, said, okay, we need to pull people together, grassroots people with disabilities, and we need to start, you know, educating people ourselves, um, informing ourselves from experts to, to get an idea of, you know, what does disability poverty look like? What does movement building look like? What does benefit design look like? Like, what does all this mean? So we formed Disability Without Poverty and the Canada Dis- uh, to advocate for the Canada Disability Benefit because we said, you know what, they've dangled a carrot 
And if we don't just totally chomp on that, it's not going to happen. It's going to be, you know, it, it, it's going right. to just be tossed away. So um, we up the pressure. We start to engage around it. Um, Canada Disability Benefit was introduced in, 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 in 2021 and Parliament was dissolved. A little election happened. Then we upped the pressure once the another minority government emerged. We just ramped up the pressure saying, hey, Canada Disability Benefit now. We got prominent Canadians with and without disabilities to issue an open letter. Uh, the Senate included the Canada Disability Benefit as a key priority in their open letter. We did a parliamentary e-petition of, you know, garnering, garnering about, you know, uh, just close to 18,000 signatures across the country, That's uh, calling on government to introduce this bill. Finally, this bill was introduced last year. Yes, it is framework legislation. Absolutely does not have all the details. It's gone through the process to third reading in the House and now is sitting with the Senate. There were amendments made in the House. We saw unanimous consent by all parties to, to, to get this thing going after debate and all that kind of lovely stuff. Now it's with Senate. The problem is, if there are more amendments introduced now, it goes back to the House. We can't forget that we're in a minority government. We It's better to have a framework bill than to have no legislation passed and this government fall. And then we're, there's no guarantee that we're going to have a government that's going to emerge, that's going to be devoted, that, that, that's going to be committed to ending disability poverty, or at least, you know, doing something about it. Something is better than nothing. So, can Canada, I jump on for one so moment? we're advocating. No, I'm going to dominate my time now. Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Canada Disability Benefit, Bill C-22, um, isn't perfect. If we wait for perfect, it's never gonna happen. It's targeting working age Canadians with disabilities because they are the group that get no supplement whatsoever. And provincial disability supports, like I already said, are far below the official poverty line. And, and people are people with disabilities are falling, finding themselves in deeper and deeper and deeper poverty. That's the problem. And people who are actually living that reality of poverty will welcome any support that emerges. And we're pushing for that support to be maximum based on principles. We're pushing for this law to be, uh, to, for this bill to become law so that then we can put pressure on for the regulations. And in the regulations, the amounts will be specified. All that kind of stuff will be done. If an amount is put in the law, that may be inadequate five years from now, 10 years from now. And you know what? Five, 10, 20, 50 years from now, you don't want an amount specified today no. that nobody's going to open, reopen the law and change that amount. They won't change it. You, and in fact, you risk that if you open up changing the legislation, that the legislation gets wiped out completely depending on who, you know, where the power rests in parliament. So right now we have momentum to do something to address disability poverty. What we're encouraging is, and, and most people with disabilities, no, the community is not as divided as it seems, mm. or, or as some would like it, like it to seem. Lawyers have their legal opinions and, and they're niggling at the details. And in the details, you know, 
if we, we we'll just delay, delay, delay. We'll never get the details perfect. We just need to move on, keep the pressure on, public pressure, public opinion. Things are on our side. Everything is working. We just need to keep pushing so that some, so that people who need money get the money they need as soon as actually possible. And we're pushing for that in 2023. Yeah. Okay. The only problem is in 2019, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau lowered the poverty line for seniors to make it look like he left them out of poverty. Um, we will last work year, on, last year, last year, last year, but we need year, to get something for adults because they're getting the least right now. Most people with disabilities for ODSP wait for turning sixty-five to get a little bit more in some in in many cases. No, when you yeah you get a little bit more, but your rent also goes up at the same time, so you don't get anything extra. That's a myth that you're getting more because you, because your rent goes up from 139 to 300 and something. When and you're that's charging. across the board, no matter what supplement you get, even if you get but the you federal know, supplement, like the I, rent like will I go said, up. Me, that's the whole other problem that we have to okay, work Okay, okay, we let can't me, yell over top of one another. Let, that's not let me finish what I want to say about the seniors. Justin Trudeau lowered the poverty line in 2019, okay, for the seniors to make it look like you lifted them out of poverty. 2022, TVO puts out an episode. And it's about how all the, all the seniors are really struggling in poverty. Okay, that's three years difference. So Justin Trudeau made the senior situation worse by, 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 by fooling around with the poverty line. Now, you can do the same thing with disabled poverty line. You know, the seniors are struggling. I, I posted about this today, you know, I, I, about the thing. And I, I, I put the two links on for the two articles, you know, about what, what, what happened with the seniors in the poverty line. And, and they're still struggling. So you can't tell me that seniors are, are, are once you get 65, you get more money. This is why I, I, I'm 60, I'll be 63 this year. I was I, I was offered to get CPP 30 years ago. I turned it down. I was told to turn it down in case they found a cure. You know, and I want to go back to work. Isabel, I'm going to chime never, in here. People yeah. have been pressured into accepting it, you know, early. And you know what? That just takes the, the pressure issue. off the off the provincial government that puts it on the federal government. That's all. I that think, did. but Isabel, I think like Rabia has conceded that there are definite shortcomings. Yeah, Please don't speak pass, over. They're never right? going like, to the federal yeah. the benefit because it's way too vague. And there's and you know what? And 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 how do you how do you implement it? How how are they going to do? Are they going to say that you know he, he said oh it's going to be a top up to the poverty line? Well, like I said, he messes with the poverty line. And if yeah. it's not enough, if it's not enough money, you know, after all of this, all these couple of years, three or four years, five years, you know, whatever gets implemented, and it's not enough, you know, how much trauma that's going to cost to disabled people? Do you yeah. know how much depression? You know how many so, so what do we do? Do we cost? just abandon it because it's not perfect? What no, do we do? We, you know what? People should be fighting for the programs that we already have to get fixed. <laughs> There's nothing we okay, no I'm going to stop both of you. There. I'm going to stop both no, of you right now. Isabella? Mm -mm. Okay, we have to be able to limit the amount we talk over one another or else nobody gets heard, right? That's the kind of medium that we're using for sure. And I know this isn't a very critical discussion. It's paramount to people's survival. But, Rabbi, I do want to just kind of note that in the chat that we have on the YouTube, on our YouTube channel, um, people are very critical of Bill 
uh, C22 and perhaps the hype also that's been put into it. Um, it kind of reminds me of just like the faux excitement that builds around politicians getting us excited about like mediocre. And you've like acknowledged that like, this is what you think you can get under a minority government. So like, we're not going to kind of, um, I think there's no point in kind of hitting that. Like people need to know that bill C 22 isn't the solution, but it is something that disabled advocates are certainly working on. And then there are definitely, definitely a large grant camp of people who think that a provincial focus is the only solution at the moment. And, and I think especially amongst the disabled community, there is finite resources and, 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 and a diversity of taxes, it's yeah. always critical, yeah. but it becomes yeah. like, how do you prioritize those resources to certain ends? Will it be worthwhile? And those are hard calls to make. And we're never all going to agree that we're putting our energy like right now, Kamal, I would say, I am not putting my energy into that party anymore. He knows that, but I understand that he thinks he can succeed there. And I'm not going to question that. Yeah. Yeah, I am exactly. not going to dismiss his efforts because Everybody. if he can succeed there, it makes it easier for everyone else. And if he doesn't, he learns something and he can move on to something else. And, and I know that's not all your organization does, but, but Isabella's points are, and, and those sentiments are certainly shared with a lot of people, you know, in the comments yeah. and what I've seen yeah. online. Um, but that goes with a lot of policies. And Isabel, I would say that to you, even small successes that we can make with ODSP or other like uh, WISE programs, our basic income has been a suggestion as a solution for everyone's poverty, not just disabled folks. Um, those come with really inherent problems under capitalism, under neoliberal frameworks that could possibly then scale back other support services that folks rely on, or like you said, lower poverty lines, um, make false adjustments that make it appear that the folks are doing something. And 100% valid because it's been echoed in the YouTube uh, uh, comment section as well, that there's a real emotional uh, impact in putting your hope in something or seeing folks putting their efforts into something that you think will, will fail or, or be a waste of time and well, here's, here's, false hope. Here's, here's a couple of things, right? We like when, when we're advocating for the Canada Disability Benefit, we're not saying stop doing the work provincially. In fact, we're trying to work province by province to make sure that you know, provincial officials do not claw back, that they continue to, to you know, do their part in reforming their programs and, and supports and incomes schemes and all that to better support residents in, in their particular province. This is meant to be a top up benefit because provinces will do whatever, like, I mean, come on, 5%, Ontario did 5%. That in reality put five extra bucks in the pocket of somebody like my brother who lives in a group home. Five extra bucks a month, that's nothing. Um, the public but, probably thinks it was something though, right? Like exactly. without and, lived experience. And, and that's where we need to raise awareness around it and we need to continue working. We're working federally on the Canada Disability Benefit because it's a government bill on the table and we and and it's going to like it's going to move through the system whether we're pushing or not if we're pushing we're going to get it to look something closer to what people want it's it may not be perfect but if we wait for perfect we are probably risking 
having anything. We're not saying that seniors are not living in poverty. We're saying let's get this top up benefit in place and then we can continue the fight. But if we keep the fight alive and not get this bill done as law and working toward regulations, it's gonna cost people their lives who are struggling in poverty right now. It's not about getting people's hopes up. It's about getting some people the supports that they need as quickly as we can. And we know it's not gonna meet everybody's needs, but we're gonna keep working to, to, to address disability poverty across the board, regardless of age limits. We're not saying that this is it. This is what's on the table. And there's a buy-in, there's a level of support. The NDP and the Liberals are supporting this and pushing it through. And at the end of the day, everybody stood up and supported it this far. And Thank if you. we're not at the table pushing, then it might end up being a mediocre benefit that really doesn't benefit us. So we need to push to make sure that it's something near, you know, to what we want. I think that too speaks to, you know, the kind of disclaimer, Rabia, that you gave when you first talked a moment ago about you're, being you're on you're Carla. Sure. No, Isabella, you can't speak over me. Like, okay. no. Um, when you were talking about being on Carla yeah. Qualtro Qualtro's advisory panel for, for COVID that it's a seat at the table. You are not naive to the reason you're there, to the impact you may or may not have in these spaces, but the absence of your participation would surely be less impactful, you know? So like some folks choose to stay out of spaces that they feel are not worthwhile and that's, that's okay. Yeah. I'm kind of yeah. spurred by the, the comments in the section because I know people like got their back up when you, when you introduced yourself as working with that minister because she has been particularly awful in terms of ableism, perpetuating the idea of jobs as being a solution. Um, folks in the disabled community are not a fan. So I just kind of also wanted to reiterate that, that you're not part of her office, nor are you advocating no, for her as a minister, nor can you office. answer for her. Yeah. So. I, I'm there to speak my mind. And anybody who knows me knows that I diplomatically speak my mind. I don't hold back. I, I, I'm not there to kiss up to politicians. Let me put it that way. That's not my goal in life. Never has been. If people know the type of work that I do at a grassroots level to support people with disabilities Are we gonna talk and, about and disability to support the community what? that I'm, I'm around. About so people the, the one piece that we remind people of is at least Minister Qualtrill is a person with a disability. Yes, she's a person with privilege, but she is a person with a disability. She is a politician today. And I said this at our rally in Parliament Hill in October. I said, she is a politician, but her political career is gonna come to an end at some point. And her career as a lawyer, as whatever she is, is gonna involve locally, provincially, nationally, internationally, it's going to involve the community that she's connected to. And that's the disability community. So she has to do right by us. We have to have influence over her to do right by the very community that she's going to end up coming back to when her political career is over. So that's I something think, also to keep in mind. Yeah, you know, I think we you know what I, I, I think that, you know, first of all, the 5% we used to get an increase every year on ODSP, 5% increase you know, is actually only 1.25% increase for the last four years, which is less than that 1.5% increase we got in 2018. 
All right. It's not even 5%. It's a joke. That's for four years. It's 1.25% for each year for four years. All right. You know what? When, when the promises ain't going to increase, are, are we having this, we're, we're fighting with them to increase the benefits now. You know, every province has got the same problem. I deal with every people in groups in every province. You know, every they're all the same problem. And you think that just because the federal benefit is going to come in, that it's going to change the provincial attitude, that they're going to start stepping up and giving more money every year? No, they're not going to do No, that. I think that goes back so to what so Kamal said, is yeah. that no matter who is in office, no matter what front you're no, fighting on, repeating you will that, have that to do that same advocacy work constantly. Yeah. You're just saying that people support the, the, the federal disability benefit doesn't mean anything. You know what? It really doesn't mean anything. We don't even, can't even discuss the federal disability benefit. It's so vague. You know what? We'll talk we'll, next year, it's Isabel. an idea. It's just an idea that's floating around and you're trying to pass an idea. But what is there's no no concrete friggin' nothing. We'll talk there's in 2024. If, if, there okay? is, if there is concrete stuff out there, where is it? Why are the disabled people being hidden from? Isabella, though, can't you like I I a lot of I, folks I, agree I, with I, you and lots of, lots of different groups. Rabia has already conceded that it is framework legislation. So driving that point home over and over again is really not constructive. We know that like she's agreed. Yeah. Everyone in the, the comments is not happy with B Bill C-22. They don't see it as a solution. Rabia has made it clear mm -hmm. it's a tactic they are employing to keep the discussion in the media, to keep politicians knowing that there's disabled people advocating yeah. for better. It's it's. It's one of the tactics that we understand that, that's, but that's not, it's not helping. And that is a very valid argument. That is, you it's not know, helping. it's not helping and it's not going to help people for more years. You know, they're, 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 you know, Trudeau could do this serve like that. You okay. know there, there, there's nothing in his last financial budget. There's nothing in his last financial budget to do with the federal disability benefit. He has no intention of doing it. Because you know what? There's no you law know, on the book no to budget it. Yeah. You know we what? want the law on the books so we can push for it to be in the budget. One, one sec. I actually have a question for, for anybody. So basically, in, in my opinion, I actually believe that what's going to happen is that we're going to have a human rights lawsuit, kind of like what happened with the Indigenous Reserves. Um, that's that's my belief. Of what's can you going explain to that a little bit more? Sure. So basically, um, okay, I, I don't actually know the full details, but basically what happened is that like lack of access to certain resources um like the uh somebody took them to like the government the federal government to court for not upholding their promise mm -hmm. to indigenous um people so what would the and, lawsuit involving disabled folks be well Basically, I believe that we're going to end up having human rights, like, I don't know if it's tribunals, but some challenge in like, a challenge here uh, at, at a court level. Okay. Um, and and what my question is, will it be easier to make that um, like those changes if we have the framework versus not having the framework? Um that's, you know, Isabella had some really great points to share, but, and a lot, all of them are valid. Uh, but I just, I have to take control of this at some point, And I've hardly heard from other folks because of that. So um, 
Kamal, you posed a question in terms of like a human rights challenge. And I think like it's important to note that, you know, there's like three levels of human rights challenges, really, and they all apply to like different levels of government. But certainly precedent is important. Um, we haven't talked about any kind of legal avenues as a means to ensure because that is the larger question, like between the federal, between the provincial avenues. Um, the answer remains the same that it's going to be a constant battle. Like Isabella brought up that point that politicians will shift, parties change. Um, even our health act is just an act. The Canada Health Act is just an act that can be removed. So any efforts we do on the political front, the electoral front, um, are likely just as temporary. So what needs to be done? We talked about ableism so very briefly, I suppose, but it's inherent in all of our discussions here. But that is really what's stopping the attitudes changing, right? Not enough people are making these demands, so politicians aren't acting on them. There's no value to capital in these demands, right? Capitalism does require a subproletariat, a class desperate, an example class, at least we are not them. Um, so social activism, movements, large amounts of people pushing in the right direction are key, right? That's a lot of what our show Blueprints of Disruption is about. It It is born from a real skepticism of electoral politics as an avenue for change um, with the urgency needed, with the, the permanence needed. So I'd like to open it up to you folks on how we can shift attitudes. Robbie, you know, drove home a few points to get this included to get disability rights on more agendas on people's radar in the legislature you know um in the charter you know uh, whatever it takes so what is that seed or, or what is the kind of broader work that needs to be done so that we're not fighting on so many different fronts uh sometimes ineffectively does anyone want to take that one on? Christine, you unmuted yourself. I, yeah, I just, just around what you're saying around shifting attitudes. That's uh, for me, something I've tried to do just, you know, personal, like in my personal life and stuff like that. And it's not easy at all. Right. And I think the I think the uh, what you said, Kamal, around uh, human rights and, and lawsuits, that's where I think this has to go. Um, I'm listening very closely. I've not been deeply involved at all in terms of Bill C-22. I've become more educated about that this last year through really great advocates on online. Um, the, the hard part, I'm just going to, again, I just speak experientially. The hard part for me today is sitting at the other end after, well, three decades. I, there's a real benchmark with 30 years, too, uh, around systems, I hear. And I agree, because I, I saw the come down working in the system, right? Um, uh, I it, It's so hard, because hearing... Uh, you know, like with somebody getting so upset and stuff, it's because, you know, being alive is being challenged, right? And now we have our government spending, I, I, I can't say, you know, how, how frustrated I was. I was glad to see they put the brakes on, 
you know, for the amendments for made, right? The expansions, you know, are to include just mental health uh, as a sole condition. That 100% came from pressure from the bottom, right? Like there was a lot of buzz. But what I'm saying, what what spoke to me about that uh, is how quickly the government was able to finally, they'd had enough, right? They got tired. We had the DW dying with the dignity camp there and uh, how quickly they were to have somebody speak out, you know, have whoever he is, I can't think of his name say, Oh, we're going to put it on hold, but we're violating everyone's rights. And I'm thinking, okay, so you're really concerned and mocking about this, but you've got people living here uh, with disability uh, on the street for example, uh, in a wheelchair, you know, intense, uh, you know, you, we know what's going on. I, I, I'm, I guess maybe it's a question too. I don't know what other recourse there is anymore other than very profound action um, and legal legalities, right? I reached out to Amnesty in the summer um, and they took it and made a file for me and I was supposed to be a change maker and stuff. I never heard back. Uh, But they said it's a real issue. You know, yes, we know it's an issue. We know this is a problem. Um, But but this is what I've been hearing for 30 years. And that's where I'm frustrated because I don't want to hear any more about uh, we're going to do a summit. Uh, We're going to have a a focus group. Uh, We're going to do that. No, no, this has been going on for a long time. And it's it's basically an intentional stall tactic at this point. And I think, you know, unfortunately, it's a pop- we're a population of people, like we know we're so diverse. If you've got people in poverty who aren't eating properly, who are trying to advocate and do activism and be heard, who are always sidelined in community, not to mention the intersectionality that comes with race and everything. And I'm not a person to speak to that, but I have an understanding from learning, right? So this is so huge. And I, I don't know, you know, coming from my former professional brain, I don't know anymore what to suggest. And I, I other than action, you know, like, like you say, protests and stuff like that. Um, I've done lots of letter writing. I've done lots of uh, uh, committees. I've done lots of all that stuff for a long time. And here we are. And I think a lot of people feel this way, right? Who've been in, in these fields and also live with disability now, right? And I I can't find words sometimes, I guess is my point. I appreciate you listening. I don't mean to ramble, but I do would love to see human rights and accountability. Um, and I also think, and I mean, this is gonna be in time coming hopefully, but there needs to be some something in place to let the leadership know today that what you're doing right now and the people that are dying uh, under your, I don't know what you call it, reign, um, you, there's, it's going to come back and there's going to be accountability around this stuff because you do, like, I know even locally here, they ignore and have for Like years. consequence, like professional yeah, political consequence. What? Yeah. You know what? If you're going to work in, <laughs> if you're going to work in a professional realm, are you going to be a politician? There are going to be repercussions. You are not untouchable. So when you choose to ignore, which is what this government is doing. It's obvious, it's psychologically damaging. It's causing damage to people with disabilities, trauma, PTSD, which is all negated as well. 
right? So I don't see it as, uh, we know it's not a simple solution, but I have some real issues around everything that way too myself. Um, you know, and I've tried to pick brains of a couple of legal people as well. And there's certainly um, opportunity there, but I, I feel like we, like you said, we need to have more attitude shift and an unwillingness to accept ableism, ableist, all of it uh, in dialogues in our communities with our friends uh, in the newspaper, online, like I'll throw things and, you know, say, why are you phrasing it like that? You're making, uh, you're making it like, oh, it's all crazy, poor disabled people that are so dangerous. We need more police. Okay. Anyway, that's my bit that's of a That's never rant. the answer. We know that. But, no, I know. No, but, <laughs> but taxes um, were raised. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it, that's just kind of my emotional sort of uh, way of seeing this. And, and, and if I come at this from a, a perspective as having been a counselor and a therapist um, for so many years, you know, I can tell, you know, I can tell you from what knowledge base I have, what's happening to people. I know what I'm experiencing myself and I have a whole lot of privilege. So um, I think there needs to be accountability for this kind of abuse, which is what it is. We are being psychologically abused by our governments and it's not okay anymore. It never was, right? So that's what I see. Just just kind of kind of the carrot and the stick, right? Yeah. That's um, and as an observer, that's what I've seen. Even in all of the advocacy, everybody's doing so much profound work, and then nothing. No, no disability. We are not. Release, we're not seeing nothing. a lot of movement. Yeah, and we no. got three years since the pandemic began, and we're in 2023 now. So I still beg the question: Where the hell is the disability emergency relief benefit? What happened with that? Right. And that is again, a question like, oh, that came up. In, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was in the chat a lot, especially at the the mention of the minister, you know, why, why relief to other people was so instant, so quick, unquestioning, for most part, (laughs) you know, everyone's always going to question something. But yeah, um, but for disabled folks got squat, what was it like a $600 one time payment? And like, that's soul crushing to folks like, and and shows um made people did made sorry didn't yeah no like it. no that's yeah. perfectly all right Robbie like I know again like Bill C twenty two isn't everything um that your group does disability without poverty what what kind of work is being done or needs to be done you know maybe looking forward to build more momentum like quickly like folks are you know signing up for made in oh. lieu of um. Yeah. Yeah, so take the floor for a minute. I'm turning my camera off just for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So basically, I mean, essentially what we, what we've, we talked, you brought up like the one-time only emergency benefit for people with disabilities. I mean, everybody was upset. We were upset. And that's why we said we need to organize a movement for the Canada Disability Benefit because the, the Canada Relief, the, the Emergency Relief Benefit came for workers first which most people with disabilities didn't qualify for, came for students, came for seniors. When it came to disabled people, it got packaged in an omnibus bill. So, you know, Minister Qualtrill, like like lover or hater, she's the one person with a disability in that cabinet. And she has the disability inclusion portfolio. Everybody else has their competing priorities. 
They, you know, um, bit, you know, everybody is asking for a piece of the pie and they're gonna push for their own little agenda even around the cabinet table. That's just the way our system works. That's how our government works. So, you know, it became packaged in an omnibus bill. Then it was reintroduced. It took a good eight months or more for people with disabilities to see an emergency relief benefit, $600 measly payment come through to them. And, and there were multiple reasons for that. And again, they needed to qualify for the disability tax credit. So there's a whole bunch of problems federally too. And if we're not at the table, those won't be addressed. And, and how we've been building this movement and nowhere have we said, hey, stop doing the provincial work do the provincial work. We need people to, to yell and scream and protest and you know do all that kind of stuff to be heard. And we need the diplomats and we need the silent observers and we need the, the, the internal champions. We need everybody if we are going to disrupt the system and make that kind of historic systems change that's needed. So you know, we brought people together, we did surveys, we did polls, we produced numerous op-eds in English and French, we did all kinds of media stuff, we got big names to co-author op-eds with us so they're heard in Ottawa. We publish all the time in iPolitics and in the Hill Times to make sure that bureaucrats and officials are reading the message that we want to send about the issues that are very real out there. All this work is essential to impact the outcomes. And the outcomes, like we said, may not be perfect, but we need to do this work. We've remained laser focused on the Canada Disability Benefit, and we're working to organize province by province. We, we have organizers, you know, we're working with organizers on the ground in BC. We've done work in Alberta. We're trying to do some work to support the ODSP Action Coalition slowly in Ontario now. Uh, we're looking at mobilizing in Quebec and beyond. We have people who are doing stuff in, in you know, because they're a part of us, they're connected to us, they're doing local stuff in uh, Newfoundland. So, and, and we've been meeting with politicians one-to-one. -one. We've been meeting with senators. We've invested a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of energy. We've got philanthropy on board. So the work that we're doing, we got money from private foundations and community foundations. We don't take money from government because if we take money from government, we cannot put the pressure on government. And, and we've garnered friends in across all parties and gotten them to speak for the Canada Disability Benefit. We have to work with the system to ensure systems change. And we have to have people from the outside also putting on their pressure the way they know how, the way they do best at all levels of government. This isn't the, the be all and end all of ending disability poverty and every other thing that you know, impacts quality of life for people with disabilities. This is one thing in that path to helping people with disabilities thrive. And we just got to see it through. If we're not there, it's going to be mediocre. If we are there, it'll be better. Well, I think people think it's going to be mediocre no matter what. But, you know, I, I think understand that. And your absence is still going to be worse like or you know yeah. and and I, I understand and again on the show we talk about the need to diversify tactics and yeah. to appreciate that 
we're not always going to agree on the avenues of change, but that surely many levers of power need to be pulled uh, to get you know, the kind of changes that folks are talking about to get the kind of demands. And there always be also two different approaches to negotiations, right? Uh, where, you know, I see Rabia kind of coming from the, we get what we can, right? Like a realist uh, approach. And this isn't to diminish because what Isabella mentioned, those demands, those are real demands. Those are really needed. But in the political atmosphere that we're living in, it's easy to also critique that as an impossible ask, you know, particularly in Ontario under a Ford government, you know, in a province where even the Ontario NDP needed to be severely pushed to go beyond a 20% increase. So, you know, those are the realities though, what's needed, but there's no right, there's no wrong. And it's okay to disagree with the way folks are going at it. And it's, it, it is impossible to unite an entire large group of people like the disabled community that, like we said, have come from many different intersections of life, but, um, and have different needs. So yeah, I just want to point that out. That's like to a lot of the comments that I can't incorporate from the chat because it is very active today. I do appreciate that. And I am trying to have it influence the discussion as much as possible. Kamal. I mean, we're fighting for scraps, like basically both sides have problems. And I'm not I'm not pointing to one side or the other, but also that, you know, both sides have issues and and, and nobody has the energy to be able to actually t attack both because they're very different approaches. Like for me, I, I used to be working on federal. Now I'm exclusively on provincial and I don't think that I can do federal activism work for quite some time until like it'll take an adjustment. Um, yeah, and and one other point that I wanted to make is like more like a I I just wanted to say because you did say how are we supposed what's the perspective we need to be giving it to uh, legislators and I think like at best they're neoliberal and so I will give this neoliberal perspective which is that actually sometimes it, it oftentimes it's more expensive to give them less because like if you're on the street you may have to go to the hospital if if you can't eat properly and and that actually costs more or even if you are like able to get by because of family and friends that's an expense on them both in time and resources just to get your basic needs and and so that's that's something which like those family and friends may also not or may also not already be at a position where they can provide yet they're having to so that actually is an expense on that side as well so i always hate when we have to bring those arguments down yeah. to the numbers and you'll find with most conservative policies and liberal policies bad ones um they aren't actually cost effective right um and so making those arguments is great for voters right like voters need to understand if you're looking at like budgets if the deficit is something you're talking about and this goes with homelessness as well that it's actually way more expensive to do these band-aid solutions or to give people a little bit less um but i think people would argue two things um ideologically there's still a need 
to warn people that if you do not participate in the labor market, you will be punished. And I don't care if that's your fault or not. That is the reality. People outside the labor market, sex workers, um, you know, the value of work that isn't paid, uh, all of that, that there's uh, an example to be made there that that is not really acceptable, that one needs to sell their labor, uh, labor to get by and to have value. Um, rather than just their humanity. So um, those calculated arguments just aren't going to hold with neoliberals. That, this is is part of the plan. Eugenics is the second, you know, we now do make it cheaper, arguably, to provide less because we've now provided the solution to end that. You know, like the argument that it costs a lot of money to keep someone on death row for a long time. The solution is not capital punishment. Um, but that's essentially what we've gone to in, in Canadian governance, right? So although you're right, Kamal, <laughs> that we are definitely spending more money by spending less or, you know, the, the calculations that you made, but the people making those decisions, that they know that. And that brings me to another question that I wanted to write, that I wrote down here. On Blueprints of Destruction, we talk a lot about the stages of movements. The environmentalist movement is the best example to explain what I'm talking about, that at some point you have to move beyond the awareness raising stage, right? Like everyone knows, almost everyone knows climate change is a problem. And they know almost why it's a problem, how it's a problem and how it can be fixed. So now it's a matter of disrupting the system until they fix it, right? It's not about convincing people what needs to be done. It's about actually getting people to do it. What do you feel the stage, the disability rights movement? I feel like it's it's hard to say like, oh, we're still in the awareness raising stage because that doesn't sound very urgent. But, you know, town halls still need to be had. There's obviously still work to do because people don't understand, right? Like they don't understand how bad ODSP is. They don't understand um, a lot of stuff. Are we still there? Are we in a mix? You know, um, if anyone wants to comment on that because it's frustrating being stuck in the awareness raising stage and having just the appearance that folks are doing something governments are doing something rabia go ahead unfortunately when it comes to any kind of equity group and equity seeking equity demanding work i hate equity deserving so i won't use that term um it's 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 lifelong learning you always have to raise awareness you always have to teach people the issues because if they're not living them they're oblivious to them that's just a fact so we will always have to raise awareness and foster greater understanding of the issues amongst people who don't have the lived experience however that doesn't mean that that's the only place we're in. I think we're in this mixed space now because around the Canada Disability Benefit specifically, we did some different things. We held, you know, um, webinars and stuff just to inform people and, and have discussions, but we also, you know, got um, billboards up in all major cities and we got PSAs on radio talking about disability poverty. There was a billboard up for I don't know how long, um, you know, the digi uh, digital digital ad up uh, at uh, Young and Dundas in Toronto or Young and Gould, wherever the billboard, uh, wherever that digital board is. Um, so we tried new ways to push out messaging so that the average person can know that disability poverty exists and needs to end. We did polling questions around it. So we really 
you know, tried to get those stories out into the public. And you, you saw more and more the impact, especially with MAID, like tying MAID and poverty together um, and, and all the coverage that media gave to that had an impact on, you know, what, what um, we already discussed in this group uh, around delaying, you know, mental illness as being the only requirement for MAID. At least that's been pushed out for, for greater examination now. It's not coming into effect this spring. So we've seen how effective some of that work can be. Yeah, I think people are moved. Like even when I share tidbits with the folks in my life that I that I glean from talking to people are horrified. They may not know where to start, but it is news to a lot of people, um, even in the chat here, folks now living with that experience um, who developed a, a disability. It was a learning curve. You know, Isabella talked about, uh, or Christine, it's been a long night, um, yeah. about navigating the process. And um, yeah, uh, we don't have a lot of time left. So I do want to just kind of go back to the panel, um, give you guys some space to talk about, oh, come on, you have your, I'll let you go first then you have your hand up so you can tie in your comment and then go to moving forward, right? Um, one of the questions I submitted to you folks uh, that we didn't get to, and I know Isabella really wanted to talk about this, uh, and she was skeptical of its effectiveness, but uh, we had a guest on, John Clark, and he talked about organizing unemployed people uh, around the issues related to being unemployed, uh, specifically social safety net, and just an example that it, it can be done. Um, it's not conventional, right? We think of unions and as something for the workplace, but certainly like the Najawan Support Network comes to mind. We interviewed them and they're a union of marginalized workers like that aren't all in one workplace. So it is possible to unionize people who are not all in the same place. More difficult, yes, right? You can't just go to the workplace, but is there value in that? It, because when I first reached out, I'm like, who's fighting ODSP? And it was really, there's not that large coalition that is so obvious, like in the Ontario Federation of Labor, you know, criticisms, mm -hmm. we can all have them, but it's not so obvious. Like it's not, to me, as an outsider, I, I am disabled, but I'm not part of the activism that goes on. Can we create a network? Is there value to organizing? Because think of every person on ODSP, like, what is it, half a million? Or is it half, a, anyway, lots. There's potential there, but obviously barriers. Christine, you talked about being in rural communities, like Isabella talked about, like, disrupting. Uh, but, you know, rural communities have different barriers. Being mm -hmm. disabled has its own barrier. Poverty. Um, so, yeah, just kind of check us out, folks. Take a couple minutes to talk about how you see moving forward. With that little tidbit in mind, if you think it's a silly idea, what do you think we should do moving forward? And Kamal, you go first because you had your hand up. Yeah. And, well, the good thing is that actually my answer ties the two questions together. So um, Perfect. Yeah. Basically, like the first thing I wanted to say is what I saw in the chat, Jay said, yeah, it's not accidental. Um, and I like what Rabia said that um, like awareness is always going to be important, but the thing is that nobody cares until it affects them. 
And that's why, like, at the very beginning of the chat, when we were talking about John Clark, one of us had mentioned, like, okay, well, they did do some work, but then somebody else had said, but only in a specific part. And we were trying to figure out, well, why was that? And it was because mm -hmm. they didn't actually think to actually work on those topics until it actually affected them. And so that's why, like, yeah, awareness is always going to be important because we need to make sure that people realize when they get there that 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 they that they need to be working with us. Thank you, uh, Christine, and then we'll end with Rabia. I really like what you, <clears throat> pardon me, suggested around gathering, organizing, um, creating a union of some sort. I I'd really like to be part of that. Um, I agree. I think we're in so many silos everywhere. And then like someone like myself with mental health advocacy, we're in another side, you know what I mean? Like everything's so, it's nice to be able to even just have this talk tonight and have a couple of people come, you know, coming together and, and planning because uh, we're, I, I know I've only experienced doing the disability advocacy online for the last year. Um, but it's a like, you know, we need the organization. It's a lot of spinning wheels. And I, and I care about the people that I've, you know, met and connected with a great deal too. Um, I think, you know, we all have the same goal in mind. It's just getting there in the midst of everything that's going on um, with solidarity. We can have um, opposing opinions or, or what have you. Um, and like I said at the beginning, you know, uh, I don't, the the conditions, like like I said about social murder, and I, I'll leave with that because it, our country, you know, yes, we have, there's things and there's good, okay. Um, there's also not good. And so uh, the conditions are here uh, in terms of making it so incorrigible to survive or exist uh, especially with, within legislated poverty, that's what this government is doing. And I can't see it any other way. Um, and I, I really hope that, you know, I, I really appreciate um, everything that Rabia and Kermal have said and, and as well as Isabella. So thank you for having me. It, it really, I really appreciate this. Thank you for your contributions, Christine. Rabia, so, you know, Aside from Bill C-22, my friend, <laughs> we, we I think we've beat that dead horse. Um, but this there's a larger goals, right? Beyond that, where do we go? The, the goal is to, you know, help people thrive, ultimately. And, and that means we need to remind able-bodied people that there are disabled people in their lives that they care about. It, it's really remarkable when you start talking to people and you make them think, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I went to school with somebody, oh, my neighbor, oh, my cousin, oh, my sibling. Like they, something, somebody clicks to them and it starts mattering, you know? And then you help them think about the fact that, you know, this is a group that they can always belong to and these are issues that they might be faced with and it hits them. So appealing to people's values, like, you know, I inherently believe that people are good, they're not evil. 
Um, so I'm the forever optimist. I always say, you know, um, you know, I see things differently. Okay. Um, I speak, you know, I speak my mind because I don't see the dirty looks that people give me. So I just <laughs> say what I need to say. Well, I'm smart. I speak truth to power. So we need to movement build. And, and that's what we've been attempting to do nationally is build a movement of people with disabilities, of their families and friends, of organizations and allies. And what we saw happen last year is we had corporate Canada engaged, like, you know, a couple of corp big corporations um, or, or business sector. We had unions engaged. We had philanthropy engaged and philanthropy has not engaged in this kind of advocacy and systems change work before at the scale. And we had disability organizations, you know, engage and share and, and work together. And, and that is very powerful. Yes, we need, you know, the lawyers out there to remind us where the holes are, um, but let's not disrupt the whole process. Let's disrupt in a positive way, but we can't disrupt to completely abandon the process because something's happening. Something's got to change. Everybody keeps talking about build back better. I talk about building forward better. We don't want to go back. We want to move ahead. We want to do things differently. And we're going to remind people to do things differently. And some of us are new kids on the block there believing that we can do things genuinely differently and have impact. So give us a chance. <laughs> that Thank you. That makes me think of Kamal and the, the NDP, you know, like I, all the power to you, friend. I want to thank everyone. And, and one, poll, and oh, one political party is not going to make the change. Like they're not. Any, <laughs> anybody you. and everybody that gets into power gets caught up with what bureaucrats tell them. Mm. So it's also bureaucracy. It goes beyond party politics. Yeah. Sorry, I'll end with that. That's okay. No, no, that is an important point to make. We do make it a lot here on the show. I'm a bit of a disillusioned with all of that. But, you know, abandoning the fight uh, on any front is definitely, I would never advocate for that either. Uh, I want to thank all my panelists, including Isabella Gamp, who is not here with us now. Uh, she had incredible contributions to the discussion. I wish we ha could have continued. Um, I think this was valuable. We will have this content uh, posted up, the audio for those who like to consume that way, uh, and also there on YouTube. So, you know, please share our content. It really does help boost our network. It's a show entirely dedicated to amplifying activism, teaching different ways to disrupt the status quo, sharing tactics, barriers, wins. Um, and my final thoughts on this particular topic are on ableism. And the way I would kind of answer the last question that I posed there, uh, that all the panelists definitely touched on, but it's the same to, as it, it's similar to the answer to racism. It's not enough to just not be racist. Uh, there is like anti-ableist work that needs to be done mm -hmm in your family, <laughs> at your workplace, um, yourself. Even disabled folks have internalized ableism. I used incredibly ableist language. I know like changing languages and everything, but it's part of becoming aware of how inherent, how 
deeply embedded ableism is in our societies and how capitalism absolutely requires it. Um, they are not, it, you know, it, it's not compatible uh, with capitalism to be disabled. And, you know, it's not my solution to everything, but, you know, attacking that system in particular, because I believe under that system, uh, we will forever be fighting over crumbs by design um, between all the marginalized groups. Uh, so vying for attention in those intersections and then vying for funds. And there's just never going to be enough to go around to, to those that need it in this current system. That's the socialist in me, obviously. That is, you know, my approach. But, you know, clearly disruption is was a theme, is a theme with the show and was a theme this night that disrupt ableism, uh, whether that be through legislation, conversations, uh, legal means. You know, a lot of people in the chat did advocate for um, legal means being the only way. So, again, we're not all going to agree on tactics or... But I think all of our motivations are very similar and our vision for what the final outcome could be is very similar. So let's continue to have conversations like this, but more importantly, like connect. So everyone you saw in the chat, like connect with them, connect with these people, these panelists, right? Like create, start to create that network of folks. Um, so the work isn't so hard. Uh, and again, thank you again to everybody that took time to share your knowledge in the chat here in the panel. And I really do appreciate all of your time. So thank you and have a good evening. Till next time, keep disrupting.